0: Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Tins, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Inco.
1: D-class ship ID number 2736478975, located in zone 278-98 Delta. There's a package available for pickup. D-class ship ID number 2736478 Look, lady, this is a secure channel. I don't know how you got it, but I'm not that kind of transport. D-class ship ID number two seven three six four seven eight nine seven five located in zone fucking two seven droids. eight dash nine eight delta. There's a package available for pickup. D-class ship ID that number two seven three right? six four seven eight nine seven five. That was the off button, right? If you, you don't hurry, don't he's not hurry. gonna, he's make, not gonna it. make it. He's not gonna make it. What There's the fuck? For what eight, the fuck? Where's the suit, lady? Eight, nine, hey, babe, sweetheart, you're fucking with me, right? I'm not exactly dressed for a goddamn space. Where's the deployment ship? Where is your ship? 478-975. Relo- Shit.
0: Inko is a sci-fi microfiction drama written, produced, and performed by one person who goes by It Me. It's about a disgruntled information courier named Nova, Hatov, the boy she ends up fishing from the inky void of space, and a rudimentary health android called Sawa. Thrown together, they navigate a world that either cares too little or too much about who and what they are. With a story that spans several worlds and dozens of characters, all voiced by It Me, Alone, Inko has 96 episodes released as of this recording, each 5-10 to 10 minutes long. In the first three episodes, we meet Nova, an information courier, who is running from a difficult past. While she repairs her ship, She discovers Hatov, a teenaged boy floating unconscious in space, and rescues him against her better judgment. Hatov turns out to be a prince, and his situation becomes the mystery that drives the story. We also meet Sawa, the ship's health android, who just wants to help these two difficult people and does her best. I spoke to Itmi remotely from her home. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative background and what your history is in terms of your creative work?
1: Oh, my creative work? I didn't really do anything until writing this. I did write a book before that, but it got rejected because the world building was too sloppy and I ended up over here eventually.
0: What was your book about?
1: Um, It was a fantasy book. It's kind of embarrassing to talk about. (laughs) I got to like the second stage a lot where they ask you for a full manuscript. I got nothing but rejections. Yeah, that's And the one person who completely read it all the way through was like, yeah, it's a really good idea, but world building's really bad.
0: It's hard to deal with. So your immediate thought was to what, jump into podcasting?
1: Well, my thought was to try something new, approach it from a different angle, a project where I could try to focus on the world building itself without, you know, being bogged down with the fact that I'd written this book for two years and it wasn't getting anywhere. Yeah. I got the idea when I was watching Ad Astra, the movie with like Brad Pitt. Right, right. Yeah. I fell asleep during it like six different times. And I was like, you know, it'd be great if they added some humor. Right. <laughs> so I got the idea for Inko while I was watching that. And then the idea for the podcast itself, I got when um I was listening to Alice Isn't Dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I thought I could do that. Maybe. <laughs>
0: Do you have any background in the arts prior to these writing, these things you've done?
1: I went to college for biomedical engineering. I was about as far from this as humanly possible.
0: So what what made you switch?
1: So I had a project in biomedical engineering, and as a Black woman, I was often belittled and people hmm. laughed in my face quite frequently. And I got the idea that either it was going to kill me or I was going to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I decided maybe I should try a different career path.
0: That's a pretty big transition. You had the idea of Inco. Tell me about what happened next. What was your process to, to sort of jump in? I, and you're doing all this by yourself, which I think is astonishing. Coming from nothing, how did you decide to just throw yourself into the fire, so to speak? I mean, it's a pretty big jump.
1: Oh, yeah. There was no waiting because I figured if I waited too long, I would chicken out or I'd come up with some sort of excuse as to why I shouldn't do it because I had no experience in podcasting and I had no background. I had no idea what to do with sound design. As a matter of fact, my first like seven blog posts were just begging for sound design tips and I never got any. (laughs) So I started off with a world. I think I wrote about three planets first, the ones that Nova visits most often. And I developed like their background, the weather, their socioeconomic stuff. Then I decided to work on the characters themselves. And each of them got a character sheet that was like a full page that just gave like their likes, their dislikes, five different attributes or so, and how they sounded when they were angry because I have to voice everybody. Hmm. So I can't have them all get angry or emote in the exact same way, or else there'll be a lot of bleed through and it'll be hard for listeners to differentiate, especially in high tension scenes. Well, what
0: are your inspirations? I mean, uh, you said you were watching a sci-fi movie when you had the idea for this. Are you a sci-fi fan?
1: No. Actually, (laughs) sci-fi is one of my least favorite ones, ironically enough. They have this small habit of when a a character gets injured, there's science to fix it. Uh Uh-huh. And it used to drive me absolutely nuts as a child. And I know that it's science and, you know, fantasy. It's just called magic. But at least fantasy allows itself to call it magic.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I think it was I think it was Arthur C. Clarke or someone who said a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yep. Right. But yeah, so you're not a sci-fi fan at all. And yet you picked sci-fi. Why?
1: Mm-hmm. Because I was watching at Astra and you got to the pirate part and there are space pirates on the moon. (laughs) And I could not make it make sense because I couldn't figure out where they were hiding, how they were getting materials, why they were on the moon, who was sponsoring them. It was driving me nuts. I was like, I have to make it make sense. So I figured... You didn't. You need a lighter cargo. What's lighter than you know? Apparently, I mean, if you're you're attacking a car, you're going for scraps or people or hostages. What's lighter than that? And I was like, information has no weight, and it's infinitely valuable. And if you wanted to do anything in space, that you know, you needed to actually have a base in space. Information would be the lightest, easiest, most valuable thing you could have.
0: Thus, Nova became the information courier or Inco of your
1: mm-hmm. show. Yep.
0: What is Inco in your own words? What does this show mean to you?
1: Inko, at its heart, is just a story about the people who are left behind. You know, when people die or somebody decides to leave to go better their lives and you're not in that picture anymore, what do you do with, you know, what's left over? And Nova obviously hasn't really handled it well. And neither has head top. And they both find themselves in a situation where they have nobody to rely on but each other and they start moving forward.
0: Why did you want to tell this particular story at this particular time?
1: Pet Tob's roughly based on my little brother. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be cool if he could be the hero of his own story. But he also had to have a lot of character development and a lot of flaws before then. So I introduced him a way that I did because that's how it felt when my brother was born. He just wasn't there. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> <like> <laughs> yeah. a child.
0: How far apart in age are the two of you?
1: 16 years.
0: Wow. That is a oh, big yeah. difference. Is this a personal story? And, and the reason I say that is that a lot of people, they say that writing can be personal, and especially if you're doing it all yourself. How much of you is in this story, and is it coming from a personal place?
1: Oh, there's a ton of me in here. It was not intentional, and I did not realize until recently how much I did, especially with the newest arc, but also less obviously in the beginning. A lot of the story is me trying to understand what's happened in the last few years. The last few years have just been rough in general. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, You're talking about with the pandemic and...
1: With the pandemic and life in general, I, I never really have the time to process it. So when I started writing this story, I thought it was literally just, you know, me doing a little sci-fi story just because I thought it would be fun. It would be something new. And I ended up finding out a lot about myself while I was writing it because a lot of the problems reflect my own problems. Like, no never having gotten to mourn something that you just kind of hold on to it yeah. and it just festers and you never quite address it. And going through a process of trying to address it now has left me feeling kind of lost. Right now, a lot of my relationships with people have started to change. Hmm. And with that, I haven't been able to um, keep everybody who I wanted with me yeah. at the time. And I mourned the loss of those relationships because as I didn't even realize when I was writing this, I did the most aromantic thing ever. And I sat down and I said, I'm going to write a story with absolutely no romance because I don't want to deal with it. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I did not realize at the time that I was aromantic. Um, And I realized recently and I was sitting there and I was like, I think that's the way I deal with relationships tends to reflect that whether I knew it or not. I like very intense platonic bonds. Yeah. Whenever like a relationship with my relatives changes or a relationship with a friend or a former friend changes, it's very hard on me, emotionally speaking. And I never knew that I should actually have sat there and just dealt with the emotions. I tend to just push past it because it's easier that way. You don't have to think about it. Yeah. Giving Nova that space. And having her stuck there and having to deal with everything happening forced me to deal with my own emotions and figure some things out and start actually working through it.
0: Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you were a Black woman. Do you consider this to be a story about people of color? Is that something relevant to you?
1: Well, they're people of color, but I figured so far in the future, nobody would freaking care anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, because you don't really bring it up. It's not like it's something that is pointed out.
1: I think I've mentioned it a total of one time in the Mm -hmm. entire series.
0: Yeah. Sawa, the health android, uh, when she's describing Nova to uh, Hatov, mentions that uh, Nova has dark skin. But that's about the only thing I remember.
1: That's the only thing in the entire series. Um, As a matter of fact, I thought I was taking a really big gamble when I switched the cover to one of a black woman on it because I was worried that people would scroll by and they just wouldn't click on it. But I wanted it so bad to just have a little bit of rep, just like visually, so that people couldn't forget that she is indeed a black woman. (laughs) When I was a kid, there wasn't a lot of them. I liked, I was an avid reader. I was that kid who, went through like six books a day as a child. And I did read some sci-fi, though. of course, I was more attracted to fantasy. And there wasn't a lot of representation in there, but I didn't realize that there was a void. My solution to that was literally to just start writing my own stuff. Mm, yeah, And then just say, you know, that's their story. I'm not in it, but I can write a story with me in it. And so naturally speaking, when I saw all this, I was like, of course, she's going to be black.
0: Is that part of why you thought you could do all this yourself? Because you're writing it yourself and you're going to tell your own story. And and I say that with respect because I know it's tough to do everything yourself. The voices and the editing and the writing. Uh,
1: I chose to do this myself because I spent five minutes thinking about how much effort it would be to get a group of people to do this and have (laughs) the timing and the the recording sessions, the script readings and everything. And I was like, I can't handle that. I think I can do it by myself because it will just be easier.
0: Did you have that idea that I'm going to do this myself in mind as you began to write the project? Yes. So how did that inform the way you wrote the show?
1: It made Nova way more profane, actually, (laughs) because I had to differentiate her voice from Heta's voice really quickly, very easily. And so Nova got... All the cursing and Hetav got none of it. And then you have Sawa, who has what I like to consider an aggressive customer service voice.
0: (laughs) You know, Sawa, I swear, it's it's the weirdest thing because she gets on my nerves and yet I laugh every time. So, I mean, (laughs) I think you found that nice, that balance between the two.
1: And Sawa? Yes, Nova? He does not get the bed. But recovery rates are noticeably faster when- He does not get the bed, Sawa. I will treat him to the best of my ability. We're literally going to land on Noria in nine days. I have taken out every single sweater, heater, blanket, and jacket I own. Make do, Sawa. If I find him on my bed, he will be considerably harder for you to patch. Permission to create a makeshift nest? (sighs) Granted. Understood! Stay on battery saving mode. I'm not made of fuel. A newer version with better energy saving capabilities! Like you just find, Sawa. And newer models require newer model money, which. It says you have 62,000 Imperial units in the bank! my bank accounts! God, Sawa! If I find you touch any of that money, I will scrap you! Understood! Don't do it. Understood! Don't. Understood! God, this is why it's so much nicer when you're off.
0: Just the way she says understood. You know, that just like uh, <laughs> How did you come up with your voices? From what you've said, it doesn't sound like you had much of a background in voice acting.
1: Nope. I had no background. I did have like some history and plays when I was like nine to thirteen. Mm-hmm. But I never did any voices or anything like that. I thought Hetop would have an accent because technically speaking Nova's listening to everything through a um translator. Yeah. And since he's speaking his non-native tongue, I thought maybe the accent would come through. And that's how Hetav kind of got his voice. His was based sheerly on how I said his name when I first read it, because I don't choose anybody's name. I only chose Nova's. Hmm. Um, I randomly generate all of your names. Oh, okay. So when I saw Hetav, I was like, Hetav. And I was like, so what kind of voice would go with that? What kind of accent would that be? And I built out from there she's not what i thought she'd be she is the captain of this ship why does she want you turned off she is unable to perform hyperspeed jumps while i'm active there is not enough power for both to occur simultaneously would you like to turn me off no no i'm i don't i'm i'm not ready to be alone noria is known for its snow underground cities cozy atmosphere warm blankets and strong liquor i've never heard of it if you have documentation you are free to explore the planet Nova has left behind a coat and a heat mask for your use. I do not have any documentation. There is extra documentation in a top drawer of a captain's desk. Why are you telling me this? It is my duty to care for the crew. This includes assessing and caring for mental health. You seem upset. Protocol indicates that fresh air may help.
0: You do little short episodes. They're like five to ten minutes each. Can you tell me why you chose the short format?
1: because I was doing everything myself. I didn't know if I could um, handle doing a long like a longer format 20 to 30 minutes per um, episode because I knew that I wanted it to be very sound design heavy. I wanted it to feel like you were in that location. and so since I didn't know what I was doing, I figured anything from about five to ten minutes and I originally planned to release every two weeks
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and I was like, if I do that I could probably manage from initial recording to output.
0: But you're doing it weekly now, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I actually do each episode in three days now.
0: How far out have you written Inca?
1: Oh, it's have, all done.
0: Oh, it's all finished. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of recording and then producing.
1: Before I start each season, except for the first season, because I didn't know what I was doing, I have the entire thing outlined and the entire script written down. And the only thing I'm doing during the season is rereading and adding like little just tweaking, really.
0: Sure. Polishing and that kind of thing.
1: Mm hmm. Especially since it's. A mystery of sorts. So you have to add some hints retroactively.
0: Yeah, you got to you gotta put those little breadcrumbs for the audience to pick up on and, and follow. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned being very heavily involved in sound design, building the world sonically. The other thing you, you do is you decided not to use a narrator. It's all just as if you're plopped into the world and you're just picking up on what's happening. That must have presented some specific challenges from a storytelling standpoint.
1: I thought the narrator actually made it harder. When I was writing Nova or going through the initial plan, I did question whether or not I should have a narrator or do one of the, um, the recorder gimmicks. I, I did sit with that for a while because, of course, it's common. It's really cool. It comes across as like, I mean, it's, it's a really nice narrative device. Um, for my purposes, I thought it was too hard for me to drum up drama. Hmm. especially with like the way I like to have certain episodes end with a lot of tension. I thought it would be weird if I had to like, say, drop somebody into like a dungeon or something. Right. And have people believe that they are genuinely in danger while they're sitting there taking the time to record.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I figured I'll just plop them in there and I'll never explain why they hear this and see if anybody ask any questions.
0: <laughs> and do they?
1: No. <laughs>
0: Which is, I think, is a testament to not only, the, you know, the quality of the sound design, but it's also a testament to trusting your audience that your audience is smart and they can figure things out.
1: You haven't done the stupid yet, Nova. You have time to turn back. You didn't do the stupid yet. You have quotas to me. Things... Why the fuck did I oh. to be a kid? Why the fuck did I have to be a kid? <laughs> Please don't, be dead, please don't be dead. Please don't be dead. Please don't be dead. Please don't be dead. Yeah, serves you a fuck right. What the hell was that? What were you thinking? Were you even thinking? Hey, hey, wake up. Come on. I'm. I. I don't do this, so if you could just. Come on, 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 come
0: on. Shit. So you're in your third season now, is that right? Mm-hmm. How has the show evolved and changed into the third season?
1: Each season, I like to do a paradigm shift. So rather than more of the same, some I'll either introduce something, a new person, a new concept, a new general idea that you have to wrestle with. So the first season's basically where's Heta from, what's going on with the Galactic Union and whatnot. And then the second season shifts because you find out what the Galactic Union's been doing. And I introduce a new character. You meet Nova's boss, and she does stay there for the majority of the season. And that changes the the relationship between everybody involved. And then in the third season, you finally get to go to Top's Home. And Mm. that's also a really big shift. That's the biggest one so far. And each season, I add more characters as I'm less afraid to start doing weird voices. But writing for the first season, I still didn't know how to finish anything yet. I'd never really planned for it to go that far, but as I started going on, I started having more fun, started getting some feedback, not a lot. The first episode only got 10 views for like three months.
0: How'd that make you feel?
1: Oh, that was depressing. <laughs> 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 Hands down. Oh, you put a lot of work in anything? you yeah. Shove yeah. it out and nothing happens and you just kind of, yep, there it is. <laughs> I also didn't do any, um, what do you call that? Marketing? Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> so, you really
0: were just sort of jumping in, and
1: oh yeah, feet first. Up. I I believe in baptism by fire. It is the only way I get anything done. I saw
0: something on the website. It said uh, you wanted to write a story with morally great characters whose greatest strengths came out when they were at their most vulnerable. Could you talk to me about why you want to write stories like that?
1: Well, morally great characters happen because I hate goody two shoes. That's just me. <laughs> Because I look and I'm like, but why? And they're like, because it's morally correct. And I just sit there. I'm like, but it's not easier. Yeah. And I do not understand why you would not go the easy way to get the same response. But I do see why people do it in real life. But just like in TV shows, as a child, especially where they try to drill good and bad and, you know, black and white morality, it used to drive me absolutely nuts. I actually really, really liked Avatar The Last Airbender, the, Mm -hmm. um, not the, the Ozai thing, because that was clearly a black and white issue, but the spirit world where um, somebody called it blue and orange morality, where you weren't quite sure what people were functioning on, but you knew that they had a code of conduct somewhere in there. Nova is not a good person.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: She's done some things. She's done a lot of bad things. (laughs)
0: Well, she contemplates leaving Hatov just die in space for a brief moment, but she's weighing like, I got my own things to worry about, not this kid.
1: And I wanted her to be um, believable in that aspect, too. I wanted people to understand where she was coming from and that in her world, everything has its own weight and its own price, right? And in order for her to start moving or try something else, she has to exchange it for something of equal or greater value. That's just how she functions as a person. Hetav is a bit, of a, um, it's a bit of an outlier in that, <laughs> because she does actually like him. And you get to see how she starts to um, change her code of conduct to fix that, <laughs> or at least to accommodate him so that she can actually help him out a bit more than she usually would. And then the part where the greatest strengths come back when they're at her weakest is that Nova is a very hard character. So is Hetav in his own way, but I wanted them to actually get to know each other, and I wanted to like form a nice bond there. And in order for them to you know, coalesce in that way, to have a decent friendship or a believable connection, they needed to open up, and that means being vulnerable. And I wanted to forge a relationship where they choose to be vulnerable with each other.
0: What do you struggle with creatively?
1: Bleed through. I have at least that I've counted as of last season, 38 named characters (laughs) Um, and they all have to talk in different ways. They all have to emote in different ways and they all have to be compelling in their own way. And in order to do that, I need them to be one instantly like you need to know what your thing is within like 30 seconds of meeting them. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because I only have about five minutes to work this, especially for a one off character. And they all have to speak differently and in their own tonalities or whatever, in order for people to be able to differentiate them when you're hearing it. Because after all, it is still all me. So writing that is actually a bit of a challenge. But I always want the risk of my characters all sounding alike, especially in written word. I actually have to go back frequently and touch things up. A lot of head lines that I wrote down ha- cannot be used as they're written because it sounds too much like Nova. So I do have to add lib quite frequently to make sure, but he's still speaking with his own affect or else they'll just blend together.
0: That's really got to be a challenge. I, you know, when I was doing Book of Constellations, I basically had three characters that I had to do and a few side characters there. But even then, um, I, I really had to differentiate between them carefully. You know, I put on my Southern accent for the narrator, Simon, and then um, I actually did a little tiny little post-production technique for Rail's voice, just to give it just a little bit of a weird edge. But yeah, I would catch myself like if I was shifting from one character to the other in the middle of narration, sometimes the characters character that I was just speaking carried over into the narration which then mm. then bled into what was supposed to be Simon so
1: No it, it's a struggle <laughs> especially in like the earlier days too now I can hop from Nova to Hettop to Saul fairly easily In the first season there's a moment where Nova locks Hettop to a cabinet and the vocal performance there the pure outrage was the first time I actually was able to differentiate the character so neatly And it just sounds so cool. And I was so proud that it turned out so nice because it was just him shouting that she locked him to a wall and her just calmly going like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And I had never, it was, I think it was like the first 15 episodes. So I still haven't had Todd's voice quite down yet. And it was the first time where I felt I could actually manage to keep this up. Right now, I have a lot of people who have this stupid accent. I didn't anticipate that we were actually going to get this far when I started. I couldn't change Hettab's voice three seasons in because Nova got a better um, translator. And so I had to stick with Hetab's voice. But if Hetab had to sound like that, then everybody on that planet has to sound oh like my gosh. that.
0: Yes, of course. Of course.
1: And so I've been struggling with differentiating a lot of particularly the Them characters, which... Has been really weird because I've been getting this weird sensation that I am somehow performing feminism in a way, you know, performing them poorly. Oh. <laughs> and as far as I know, I am a girl right now. And the more I do this, the more que- times I end up questioning it. <laughs> so I'm like, am I just performing femininity? It doesn't even sound right. It sounds like I'm making fun of them. And I'm more comfortable with Pet's house voice. And it's just been really weird. <laughs>
0: Judith Butler said that all gender is performance anyway, so.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize that was a thing until I was stuck in my house for two years. (laughs) So (laughs) You you don't understand. My dad once said, girls don't do that. And I looked at him dead in the eye at like the age of eight. And I was like, but I'm a girl and I'm going to do it. And that was my comp. That was like my understanding of gender performance right there. How do you measure success? That is a great question because that is the one thing I am really bad at. I never came up with a metric of success in this piece. Um, I think I'm sitting around 50,000 downloads recently. Nice, Or I'll be just about to hit it. Thank you. And I'm getting like kudos. Some people offer me co-fees and I get letters of people saying this is so nice and I get reviews. And I was sitting around, I was like, when will this be successful? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I never came up with a metric that would say I am definitely here. Here's where I want to be. And the way that my personality is is that I will always consider where I am to be far from where I want to be. Mm. And so I, I do struggle with imposter syndrome because of it. Oh yeah, And I sit around and I wonder, am I good enough to be here? And I'll talk to other podcasts. And I'm like, man, they have their stuff together. Look at how, you know, professional, and nice they are. And then next thing you know, somebody will offer me a seat on a panel. And we'll be like, hey, you're really good at podcasts. Do you want to come here and, you know, talk with us about how we, you know, do things? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I've only been here two years. We're like, you're one of the best in the business. I was like, since when? <laughs> <laughs> since I never bothered to measure, I always feel like I'm not doing well enough. So I'm always pushing for the next best thing and the next thing, which leads to, you know, general dissatisfaction with my product.
0: If you don't have a clear metric of success, what keeps you motivated? Why do you keep coming back?
1: The weekly deadlines. Is that it? Yeah. Um, If I don't finish by the week, I feel like I missed something. So I just keep going from week to week to week to week. The weekly deadlines for Inko are really the only thing keeping it going at this point.
0: (laughs) I mean, you still love doing it, don't you?
1: Oh, yeah. I do. I do enjoy it. I especially love how it comes together. Hearing it go through me just repeating a line, like anywhere from like three to 10 times trying to get my intonation right and trying to make it sound like I'm actually talking to somebody else to putting it together and having a conversation and having a conversation in a location, you know, and everything. That's really cool.
0: What are some lessons you have learned about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own?
1: I think a lot more people could probably benefit from um, considering how they want to use sound because it's limited to sound. And I know that I use sound to set location, but you don't have to do that. You can do it to emphasize movement or emphasize a certain word or whatever. You can do it to emphasize your character's headspace or how they're feeling. It affects so much. And I think people should really sit down when you start doing audio drama and just think about how you want to use sound and how that'll affect your character in general.
0: There's so many things that you can do with it in ways that don't immediately seem obvious. I mean, absolutely, you can create a soundscape and you can land the characters in the world and give realistic sound effects, but you can also use tone and music and sounds which are non-diegetic to influence how the audience perceives the events that are going on. I think it's a smart insight that you've got the medium, which has limitations, but instead of limitations, embrace the strengths. What are the things that it can do? What's next? What's
1: next? Inko's going to be done in about 60 episodes or so.
0: So a while to go.
1: Yeah, it's a while to go. I'll be here for about another year if I'm lucky. <laughs> it, I did not expect it to take this long. When I first started it, I thought I would probably give up. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of feedback. There wasn't a lot of um incentive to keep going. But I did it for me, because I actually do enjoy these characters, and then other people started falling in love with them too, which has been really, really nice recently. So I do it for those people too, because I think they like to see how it ends. Hey, Nova! Still riding that death trap? Still alive despite tremendous odds, yep. Have you been giving my ID to new clients, Jean? No, Nova! You have your route. You need to stick to it. You need to build up trust. Trust, I know, I know. It's just... Jean, are you absolutely sure, like... Not even by mistake. Nova, what's going on? I, I was radio, but y- here, here's where it gets weird. They called my private line. You know, my private, private line. They seem to think I'm a cargo ship, a real cargo ship. They wanted me to transport. It's what, what do you expect? You're piloting my heap of trash around. Not everyone is crazy enough to put a hyperspace engine on any punk of metal they lay their eyes on. I thought my ID was wiped from the records. It is. But I just can't erase everything. Older ships have older directories. Your number might still be there. Damn it, Jean! Oh, please. I would like to take this moment to remind you of our rules, Nova. I don't mind a bit of private smuggling, but you are not to take on an entire load. I trust you turned them down.
0: Inco is ambitious. All the more ambitious for being produced by a single person. It relies on tight plotting, careful sound design, and well-crafted characters to realize its aims. And the result is engaging and immersive short bursts of story. It's also a great example of what can be accomplished by one person in the audio drama medium. You can find Inco on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for a link to its homepage. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you'd like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him, where did he come from, how did he do all those things they say he did, was he a terrorist, was he crazy, was his skin really blue, well I'll tell you what I know, I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars, I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged, not even Raelle. People ought to know the truth, and I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.